Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2012. It's a privilege to be here with you at the beginning of the feast, and I hope that this will be a very profitable feast for each and every one of you. One of the traditional questions that we often ask at the beginning of the feast is the question, why are you here or why are we here at the feast? It is an important question that we need to ask and that we need to think about because we're not here just to have a vacation. We're not here just to have fun. We're not here to just spend money. And we're not here just to learn how to live like kings whenever we spend our second tithe at the feast. We are actually commanded to be here by God. And we're commanded to be here for some very important reasons. And that is to focus on the meaning of the feast. To focus on what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles pictures the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ and the saints when they come back to this earth to set up the kingdom of God on this earth. It's going to be a fantastic period of time, an exciting period of time. But God wants us to focus on the meaning of the feast while we're here at the feast for seven days. You know, the focus of many Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Hosea, a number of these Old Testament prophets is on a coming kingdom of God, a very exciting time. The Feast of Tabernacles, the kingdom of God, is also the focus of the ministry of Jesus Christ and also of the apostles. You know, we read in Matthew chapter we read in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That was what he was focused on. In Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to Samaria preaching about Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul was preaching about the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 28. The focus of the Feast of Tabernacles is on this great coming kingdom of God. It was the focus of the Old Testament prophets. It was the focus of Jesus Christ. And it was the focus of the New Testament church and the apostles. But as I mentioned, why are we here? We're here because we're commanded to be here. You can read in Exodus chapter 23 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 16, where Jesus, where you can read in Exodus 23, and you can also read in Deuteronomy chapter 16, that God told Moses to tell the Israelites that three times a year they were to gather together and worship God on these holy days, on these festivals in the spring, in the early summer, and also in the fall. These were commanded assemblies. That's why we are here today. Because Jesus Christ even mentioned to his own disciples in John chapter 7. He says, you go up to the feast. I'm not coming just yet. But then he came up later and he spoke to the people that were assembled at the feast in Jerusalem. So Jesus Christ actually instructed his own disciples to go to the feast. 
We also read this in Acts chapter 18, where Paul, the apostle, mentioned he had to be at Jerusalem to keep the feast that was coming. So Paul was keeping the festivals. We also read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the apostle Paul was telling the church at Corinth, at Corinth, the Corinthians. He says, let us keep the feast. He was talking there about the days of unleavened bread, but uh, that was part of the biblical holy days. So it was part of the festivals that we find in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So brethren, what we need to think about while we're here at the feast, we're here because God commands us to be here. That's why we're here. We are here to focus on the meaning of the feast, this thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ and the saints that is going to come in the not-too-distant future. But I want to ask another question that I hope will help us understand why we're here. Why are many people who claim to be Christians not keeping the feast of tabernacles? Why are they not keeping the biblical festivals? Many people today would say, well, you know, as Christians under the new covenant, we don't have to keep the biblical holy days, the biblical festivals. Those were just given to the Jews. You know, so we don't have to keep them. Jesus Christ did away with those holy days and away with those festivals. We're no longer required to keep those days as Christians. But, you know, these are not accurate explanations. These are wrong. This is a wrong type of reasoning. In fact, it doesn't agree with the scriptures. In fact, these reasonings, these ideas actually overlook some very important lessons that we need to remember while we're here at the feast. What happened to the children of Israel that God actually gave them his holy days? They gave them his festivals to separate them, to keep them apart from the world, but also to keep them mindful of the plan and the purpose that God was working out on this earth. You don't need to turn to all of these scriptures, but I want to run over them. You might want to jot them down in your notes because there is extremely there are extremely important lessons that we need to remember and that we never want to forget because these things happen to the Israelites. And that's why many people today of Israelite heritage and in Israelite countries don't keep the feasts of God. They don't keep the festivals of God. You know, as I mentioned already in Exodus 23, Leviticus 23, and also in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, the Israelites were commanded by God three separate times of the year to make pilgrimages, to have a pilgrimage feast, to come to Jerusalem, to worship God, to stay mindful of his holy days. But in 1 Kings chapter 11, we find that Solomon, as he got older, was influenced by his pagan wives, and he drifted away from God. His son, Rehoboam, inherited the throne after Solomon's death. And he became, he got Rehoboam, began to lean on people. He began to listen to his younger advisors, and he rejected the advice of the older men. 
And he basically turned away from God. God then told Jeroboam, he said, I'm going to take 10 of the tribes away from Solomon's son, and I'm going to give them to you. And if you follow me, if you walk in my footsteps, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give this kingdom to you. I'm going to leave one or two tribes with the son of Solomon because of the promise that I made to David. So God then took 10 of the tribes away from the house of David and he gave them to Jeroboam and they set up their own capital in the northern part of the country. But then Jeroboam didn't really trust God. He realized, you know, at these festivals, when the Israelites are commanded to go up to Jerusalem, if the people up here in the north go down to Jerusalem, I'm going to lose my kingdom. I'm going to lose all these subjects. So you can read in <clears throat> so you can read in First uh, Kings chapter 12, the Jeroboam changed the festival from the seventh month, that is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. He changed those festivals to the eighth month. And then he set up some golden calves and he instituted a different form of religion. And you can read a little bit later in uh, 1 Kings 14 that Jeroboam is referred to as the king that made Israel sin. He made Israel sin. He led these 10 tribes away from God. And one of the ways he did it was to change the feast from the seventh to the eighth month. Those Israelites then went into captivity and eventually migrated across Europe, up into the northwestern part of Europe, into the British Isles, and then from there to America and to Canada and South Africa, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and other places around the world. But it was the descendants of these people that Jeroboam turned away from God by changing the festivals especially the Feast of Tabernacles from the seventh to the eighth month. These Israelites lost their identity of who they were. They lost their knowledge of the true God. They lost their knowledge of the plan of God. And as a result, their descendants today have no idea who they are in most cases. They have no idea who the true God is. They have no idea of the plan of God. And that plan of God is pictured in the festivals that we find in Leviticus chapter 23. Many people or some people today have been told that God doesn't have a plan, that Jesus Christ is the plan. And that this idea of a plan of God was some uh, an idea that Mr. Armstrong came up with. But that's simply not true. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 46, <clears throat> Isaiah is addressing critics in this particular chapter. But in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 10, Isaiah talks about a plan. He talks about a purpose that God has. He says, remember this and show yourselves men. In other words, you know, stand up and be realistic. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, God predicts the future from the distant past and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Now, the word counsel comes from a Hebrew word, essa, 
which means my plan, my purpose. What God is saying here through Isaiah is my plan and my purpose shall stand. Look this up in a couple of different translations. And he says, I will do all my pleasure. Some translations say, I will do everything according to my will. I will do everything according to my purpose. Isaiah makes it very plain and clear that God has a plan and he has a purpose. And that plan and purpose is pictured in the biblical festivals. Passover pictures the fact that Jesus Christ would come and give his life as a sacrifice for us, for sinners, to pay a penalty that we would otherwise have to pay. The Days of Unleavened Bread picture the fact that we have to put sin out of our lives. This is part of our our challenge in growing up and maturing physically and spiritually is learn to make wise choices, right choices, but to get rid of sin, to put that leaven out of our lives. The day of Pentecost pictures the fact that we need God's spirit and it's God's spirit that gives us discernment, enables us to understand the plan of God when he gives us that spirit. And then the feast of uh, trumpets pictures the time when Jesus Christ is going to return and literally intervene in all the affairs of mankind and set up a kingdom on this earth. The Day of Atonement pictures the fact that Satan is going to be bound. He's going to be put out of commission. And the world is going to be very different as a result of not having his influence. This is what's coming down the road. The Feast of Tabernacles then pictures this thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. And when people begin to keep Christmas and Easter... They lose sight of the fact that God has a great plan and he has a great purpose that he's working out on this earth that we can be part of when God calls us out of this world. And then the last great day, which we'll learn more about later uh, at the end of this festival, pictures a time when the whole world is going to understand the plan of God. They're going to be given that opportunity. Your aunts, your uncles, your, your parents, your friends, will be given an opportunity, either in this life or in the resurrection, to learn God's plan, learn God's way of life. So God has a great plan and he has a great purpose. You know, this is also referred to numerous times in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul talks there about being predestined, or people are being have been predestined. They have, have been created and called for a specific purpose. In other words, God has a preordained plan. He is predestined. He is, pre, pre, he is predetermined that he's going to work out things according to his plan. So the Bible talks about it. You might want to do your own Bible study on purpose. Look up the word. It's used numerous times in the Bible. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. And it's pictured in these festivals. You know, the, early, the Jews in the early first century, first and second century, whenever they realized that uh, Gentiles were being called into the early New Testament church, uh, began to kind of push the many Jewish customs uh, and rituals on these New Testament Christians, saying, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And the essence of the New Testament says that the New, the New Testament Christians didn't need to keep a lot of rituals. But some people have concluded that uh, they didn't need to keep the holy days either. 
But again, that does not fit with the scriptures. As we mentioned, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 7, you go up to the feast. I'm not coming just yet, but I'll come up later. He went up to the feast and he spoke. We find the examples in the New Testament where Paul says, I've got to keep this feast that's coming. And he's telling the the church in Corinth, he said, let us keep the feast. Let us keep the feast. So he's telling the early New Testament church to do those things. But if you turn back to Zechariah, and this is a scripture you may hear several times through the course of the feast. Zechariah, towards the end of the Old Testament, is a prophecy about what is coming down the road, what is going to happen when Jesus Christ and his disciples and his um, saints are resurrected when they come back to this earth. What's going to happen in the coming kingdom of God? In Zechariah 14, verse 16, it says, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations that come up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. You know, the whole world is going to be given the opportunity to learn about the plan of God. They're going to be taught to keep the festivals of God. This is what's coming in the not-too-distant future when Jesus Christ and the saints come back to this earth to set up the kingdom of God on this earth. And people are going to be taught to keep the holy days. They're going to be taught to keep the festivals of God. They're going to be taught about this great plan of God. It's going to be a very exciting time. Just, again, a little bit more background. While the Israelites lost their course, or they lost their way as a result of the influence of Jeroboam, as they migrated off northwest from the uh, Holy Land. The Jews remained. The Jews went into captivity also because of their sins. But before they went into captivity, there were several attempts to restore a knowledge of the festivals of God. Because we find in the nation of Judah, a number of the kings went off into paganism. But several times under Hezekiah and also under Josiah, Uh, These strong leaders attempted to restore uh, the practice of keeping the biblical festivals. You can read about that uh, several different places in the Old Testament. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, it talks about Hezekiah's reforms. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, it talks about Josiah's reforms. And then when you go to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 30 and 31, and also Second Chronicles 34 and 35, it mentions there in Chronicles how these kings began to restore a knowledge of the plan of God and to in, encourage and uh, proclaim that the holy days, the festivals of God needed to be observed. And when they, people started to keep those festivals again, It talks about people were rejoicing. Wow, this is really great. These are not burdens. These are very exciting times that picture major events in the plan of God. So this has happened before. And whenever the Jews came back from captivity in Babylon in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, it mentions there that Nehemiah taught the people about the 
plan of God. He taught the people to keep the festivals of God. And there was rejoicing. It was an exciting time. People began to realize what their destiny was, what the plan and purpose of God was all about. This is what is going to happen in the years just ahead. When Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, the saints are resurrected, and the whole world is going to be taught about the plan of God as they keep the festivals of God. So this, again, is why we are here and why the world is not here today. God is calling a group of people out of this world to learn a way of life. The Bible talks many are called, few are chosen. God is not calling everyone right now, but he is calling a few. He's calling a few people to understand the plan of God and prepare for the coming kingdom of God. And we're here at the feast to prepare, to get ready, to focus on the future. And hopefully this will become real to us and even more real to us as we're here at the feast. So I want to talk about in the sermon today the what is going to happen when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And I'd like to ask you some questions. How real is the kingdom of God to you? How real is this coming kingdom of God to you? How real is it to understand that we're going to reign on this earth if we grow, if we overcome, and if we qualify to be there? Why is the gospel of the kingdom of God good news? Many people today (laughs) seem to think that all these Old Testament uh, customs and these Old Testament festivals, these are burdens. And yet Jesus Christ talked about the coming kingdom of God as the gospel, the good news, the exciting news of the coming kingdom of God, which is pictured by the Feast of Tabernacles. What's it going to mean to the world? What's it going to mean to the world when Jesus Christ and the saints come back and set up the kingdom of God? How is it going to change? How is this going to impact the lives of millions and millions and millions of people around the world? These are some things I want to talk about in the sermon today. What is Jesus Christ and the saints, what are they going to be doing? What are they going to be doing? What are you going to be doing if you have the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth? How is the kingdom of God going to change the world? How will you help change the world forever if you're part of the government of God? And how can you prepare for what is coming? What can you be doing now that will help you get ready to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth and to be part of a world-changing event? the setting up of the kingdom of God on this earth. That's what the feast is all about, is to give us an opportunity to focus our minds on what is coming and to think about what would you like to do in the kingdom of God? What are we going to have to do in the coming kingdom of God? And again, think about this. How real are all these things to you? Is this something you're focused on? Is this something you want to be part of? I hope as a result of the sermon and when the other sermons you're going to hear during the course of the feast, that you will come to understand the relevance of the gospel, how much it is needed, 
the absolute necessity for Jesus Christ to return to this earth and the crying need for the coming of kingdom of God to be established on this earth. I want to focus on these things. And I think it may help a little bit here at the beginning of the sermon is to look at this world for just a few minutes, to actually look at the world in a realistic perspective. You know, we look at a world that is confused religiously. You know, there are dozens and dozens of different religions that really have very little in common. There are thousands of conflicting ideas about religious topics. One group believes this, another group believes that. We also see people around the world literally enslaved by superstitions. Superstitions that dominate their lives, that are really have, have no meaning. They're groundless. And yet people are enmeshed in these things. You go through different parts of Asia. People spin these little prayer wheels. It's just every time a wheel goes around, it's supposedly sending prayers somewhere. Uh, these are traditions. You know, the Bible talks about don't do things like that, meaningless repetitions. Many people say prayers, the same prayer over and over and over and over. Uh, the Bible says don't do those things. God wants us to talk to him in our prayers, not just to mumble some predetermined or written out phrase. We have people praying to idols in different nations all around the world. They, they carve something out of wood or stone, and then they get down and pray to these things. You know, stone doesn't hear. Wood doesn't hear. These are idols. They're useless. They're, they don't respond, and yet people believe they do because they've been told that they do. Other people try to uh, speak in tongues or have some sort of a, uh, an experience, and this supposedly makes them more religious. Some people handle snakes and occasionally get bitten and they die. But this is part of their, their religious custom that they get involved with. And many pagan religions, uh, many pagan philosophies that occupy people's minds, that get them trying, focused in a certain direction. And yet the world is filled with all kind of conflicting ideas of religious confusion. Many people are running around today in, in Christian countries saying, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. But they're preaching things that are totally different than what you find in the scriptures. So we live in a world filled with religious confusion. You look at governments and the corruption that exists in government after government after government. People get into positions of power and then they begin to you know, accumulate money, accumulate uh, goods. They like controlling other people and yet people suffer under these governments, the corruption that is there. In economic systems, people exploit those systems and exploit people with those systems. And again, many people suffer. Our global financial system appears to be coming apart. And many governments appear to be uh, coming apart because they just don't work today. You see a world filled with confusion, a world filled with frustration. You see people using and abusing legal systems, taking advantage of positions of power. We're also seeing the spread of terrorism today and violence and hatred among religious groups, among ethnic groups, among uh, political groups. We also see the periodic threat and outbreak of increasingly destructive conflicts and wars. They just get worse and worse and worse. 
This is the world that we live in. One of the things we're going to be watching over the next could be five to ten years as the influence and power of America declines and with the spread of nuclear weapons and terrorist activities, a number of people are saying we are we may see a new dark age descending on the world. These are not crazy people talking about this. They're extrapolating trends. When the United States no longer has the power to be the world cop or the world policeman, things are going to deteriorate. You have a little power group here, another power group over here, a couple of nuclear arms over here, some more over there. People want this and they want that, and they go to war. They fight each other. Jesus Christ made a statement in Matthew 24, talking about the end of the age. He says, unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved. Unless Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and sets up a government on this earth, he said, no flesh would be saved. We would destroy ourselves. Brethren, this is why Jesus Christ needs to return. This is why we need the kingdom of God to bring the government of God to this earth. And this is why we've been called to prepare to become part of this. That God is calling us out of this world to train a group of people to rule with Jesus Christ on this earth. Brethren, this is what is coming. Like I said in the very beginning, we're not here just to have a vacation. We're not here just to spend money. We're not here just to learn to live like kings. We're, learn, we're here to learn to rule, to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth, to change the world, to bring peace to this earth, to alleviate the suffering that exists on this earth. So what is Jesus Christ going to do? What are the saints going to do? What are we going to be commissioned to do? What are we going to be involved with? And how real are these things to you? Let's look at several areas Several things that are going to happen. Several things that we're going to be involved with when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And we're given the opportunity to reign as kings and priests on this earth with Jesus Christ. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It's a prophecy about the coming kingdom of God, what is going to happen on this earth when Jesus Christ returns. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. This didn't happen when Christ returned the first time. The government actually put a cross on his shoulders and made him carry it around and then crucified him. But this is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The government will be upon his shoulder and he will be called wonderful. People are going to be excited. The counselor, one who advises, gives wise advice. The mighty God is going to take control of this world. Satan's the God of this world right now and that's why it's in a mess. But Jesus Christ is coming back. The everlasting father, the prince of peace the prince who is going to bring peace to this world. And then it says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace. The government's going to grow. It starts in Jerusalem. 
and spreads out from there the whole way around the earth. The increase of his government and peace. Peace is going to spread from the Middle East, from Jerusalem to the far corners of the world. And there will be no end. It's going to go on forever because the saints are going to be resurrected with eternal life to be part of God's family. You know, many of us are getting older today. You know, our hair falls out, our teeth fall out, <laughs> your bodies don't function as well. But when you gain eternal life, you're not going to change. You're going to live forever. You're not going to have to worry about health problems. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom in order to and to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forever. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth to set up the kingdom of God, the government of God on this earth. And it's going to bring peace and justice to the peoples of this world. This is what you and I have been called to become part of. We've been called to become part of a world-changing event to literally change the world. Now, we've got to change ourselves right now. To be given eternal life, to be made part of God's family, we have got to change. We've got to learn to become peacemakers, to be able to bring peace between peoples, between nations. You know, Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's turn there quickly. Blessed are the peacemakers. We've got to learn how to become peacemakers. We've got to learn the way to peace. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, daughters of God, children of God. And part of our challenge today is to learn to be at peace with other people. You may have your opinions. Other people may have their opinions. But, you know, if we're always verbalizing our opinions, well, I don't agree with you. I don't think we ought to do it that way. This doesn't bring peace. But when we learn to be diplomatic, well, that's an interesting thought. And let me share a thought with you. But then if we ask the question, what is God's thoughts? What are God's thoughts? What is God's will? What does God want us to do? And then we have to be humble enough to do things God's way and desire to do things God's way. You know, God's way leads to peace. God's way leads to peace. The laws of God bring peace. You might look up Psalm 119, verse 165, where it talks about God's laws. The, 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 the way of righteousness brings peace. The world is not interested in God's laws today. We think guns will bring peace. We think all kinds of uh, negotiations and diplomatic efforts will bring peace. Well, they haven't, and they're not bringing peace today. It's going to take the government of God following the laws of God and teaching the laws of God to bring peace to this earth. What is that government going to look like? You, know, you can begin to get a, a feel for the government of God if we're willing to look into the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses was given some advice for governing the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, by his father-in-law. And he was told that, Moses, you're wearing yourself out trying to do this all on your own. 
Uh, What you need to do is to choose, select able men, able individuals to rule with you, to help you rule. And it was a structure given here, as well as qualifications. You know, Moses didn't say, okay, we're going to have a big uh, election now and let's uh, all figure out who we want to vote for. And uh, this is how we're going to uh, put our government together. This is a very different approach. It says in verse 21 of Exodus chapter 18, Moreover, you shall select, you appoint from all the people, able men, people with ability. You've got to notice people with ability. But then they also have to have other qualifications, such as fear God. People with ability who fear God, who want to do things God's way, not just do their own thing. Men of truth, individuals that tell the truth. They don't lie. They don't shade the truth. They're open. They're honest. What you see is what you get. Individuals who hate covetousness. One of the problems today is people get into leadership positions. doesn't matter what kind of government it is. They get into leadership positions. They begin to, to gather power to themselves. They build great big houses. They, great, they buy great big cars. They, they try and control as much and uh, gather as much to themselves. It's covetousness. It's greed. It's, it's just trying to get as much for themselves as possible. But they have to have certain qualities. Then it says place them over uh, as rulers over thousands and then over hundreds and then over fifties and over tens. So you organize things. It's a hierarchical form of government. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, people can abuse hierarchical forms of government. They can abuse dictatorships. They can abuse monarchies. They can abuse democracies. But God has given a structure here, and he also gives qualifications here. And you find this runs through the scriptures in Acts chapter 6, talking about the appointment of deacons. They were to select deacons, make recommendations, and then the apostles would make the actual appointments. Uh, In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul went through the churches and he appointed elders. He appointed leaders based on these qualifications. In 1 Timothy 3, we find qualifications of leaders of the church, qualifications of Christians, qualifications for the leaders in the coming kingdom of God listed. They have to have certain qualities. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul appointed leaders. They didn't have an election in various congregations. They were appointed based on their track records, based on their character qualities, based on the fact that they were, have, they were being led by and developing the fruits of God's Spirit. So this is what is going to happen. I want to just point, I'd like to point out one other scripture in uh, Numbers as an example of what the Israelites wanted to do on their own. You know, they followed uh, Moses out of Egypt. They were impressed by the miracles that were done. But then as they uh, were going through the wilderness, you know, they began to doubt. They began to have concerns. Uh, They said, you know, Moses brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. We're going to die out here. They didn't like what was happening. Things were getting difficult. But in Numbers chapter 14, verse 4, notice what they did. They said, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. We will choose our own leaders and we're going to go back to Egypt. 
you know, they, they wanted to have an election. They wanted to select their own leaders. They rejected the leaders that God had put in place, and they wanted to select their own. Now, notice God's response to this. He didn't say, oh, well, that's, that's good. They're just doing whatever they feel they would like to do. You know, they're entitled to their opinion. In verse 9, it says, only do not rebel against the Lord. This is Moses telling the Israelites, uh, nor fear the people of the land. You know, don't fear these people. Things are not going to be so bad. Don't rebel against God. Now, the rebellion was we're going to select our own leader and go back to Egypt. Then he told Moses, he said, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? They were rejecting God when they rejected the form of government that God gave them. And this is a very serious thing. And many of those people died as a result. So the government that God is going to set up, the government that Jesus Christ is going to set up when he returns to this earth, is going to be based on a hierarchical form of government staffed by individuals that God is calling and God is training and has been working with down through history. This is what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. I think what we need to ask ourselves is, is this real to you? Is it real to me? Are we learning to work within this kind of government? Do we understand why God has structured it that way? You know, we think in America and in the democracies of the world that we have the best form of government. And yet Plato, back around 400 B.C., Plato noticed even at that time, he says, there appears to be a sequence or a cycle that governments go through. They start out as monarchies with a king. And then when he dies, they go to an oligarchy, a rule of a few people that worked with him. And then they go to a democracy. And then that comes apart eventually. It becomes very anarchic. Everybody does their own thing. And eventually a dictator comes along to try and stabilize everything. But Plato understood the, the fragile nature of governments. He saw the flaws. It was, he saw enough to realize there seems to be a cycle. Many nations go through this. We happen to be in a, a, a democracy cycle right now in many nations. But many of these democracies are coming apart. They're ceasing to function. They're splitting asunder. And we may see some strongmen emerging in Europe and some other places that are going to try and pull the pieces back together. You know, Winston Churchill made some comments about democracies. He says, democracies are the worst forms of government, except for all the rest. The worst form of government. You know, for many Europeans, they look at America and they see our political uh, elections and so on. I think this is chaos. You know, one minute, two guys are telling each other how bad they are, and the next time, the next minute, you've got to vote for one of them after they've run each other down. Jesus Christ is coming back to set up a very different form of government. We need to be preparing, understand the lessons of history, that the only thing that's really going to work in the long run is going to be the government of God, and we need to be preparing for these things. The second thing that's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns in the saints' reign will be the establishment of right religion, a return to the religion of God. You know, the prophets talk about a lot about the Israelites and the, the Jews who turned away from God. He said, look, my people have forgotten me, God says. They've rejected me. You might want to read Jeremiah chapter 2 and Jeremiah chapter 3. He says, they've turned their back on me. They've worshipped pagan gods. 
And as a result, there's going to be consequences. But let's go to Jeremiah chapter 3 and notice what uh, Jeremiah was saying was that was going to happen in the years ahead, in the future. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart. This is when Christ returns. I'm going to give you true shepherds, right shepherds, uh, according to my heart. They're going to be teaching my truth, God says, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. This is what's going to happen in the coming kingdom of God. God is going to appoint good shepherds to teach people God's way. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, we see what's going to happen in the coming kingdom of God. Again, you need to ask, how real is this to you? Are you preparing to be part of this? Are you ready to do this? In Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, at the end of the age, when Christ returns, the mountain or the government of the Lord's house will be established on top of the mountains over all other governments. It's going to be a world-ruling government ruled from Jerusalem and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow to it. The world will look to Jerusalem, to the saints, to Jesus Christ who are headquartered there. And they're going to be asking us, show us how to do things. Show us how to do things right. We made a mess out of things. And they will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the headquarters in Jerusalem, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. We're going to have an opportunity to teach the world God's way of life. For it says, out of Zion shall go forth the law. Are you ready to teach the laws of God? Or are you ready to explain the laws of God? That they're not burdens, but there are blessings that come from following the laws of God. God is going to set up a government that is going to teach the world the way to peace. So right religion is going to be established on the earth. The scripture we read earlier in Zechariah 14, verse 16. The whole world is going to be taught to keep the festivals of God, including the Feast of Tabernacles. It's going to be an exciting time. But as people keep the feast from year to year, they're going to learn about the true God. They're going to learn about the laws of God. They're going to learn about the festivals and the plan of God. It's going to be an exciting challenge, but it's going to be difficult to teach those things if you've never kept the the festivals of God, if they were never real to you. You never really understood what it was all about. It was just a place to go to have a good time, to live like kings, to have a vacation. God is looking on our hearts today. He wants to know what's in our minds. Are we preparing? Are we excited about the future that's coming? So right religion is going to be established on this earth. Right education is going to be established on this earth. In Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Breaking in the latter part of that uh, verse in verse 20. says, but you will see your teachers. When Christ returns, uh, sets up a government, the saints are ruling with him. It says, people will see their teachers. And your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way to worship God. This is the way to to peace. This is the way to health. This is the way that's going to work for you. 
And part of our job and part of our opportunity is going to be teaching people God's way of life. Are you excited about that way of life? You know, you can't sell something you're not excited about. You can't teach something you don't understand. Are you preparing? Are you getting ready to do these things? So right education is going to be established on this earth in many, many areas. A fourth thing that's going to happen is that the government of God and the religion of God is going to promote right character, to promote right character. We're living in a world today that has lost its moral compass. Well, we think this is okay. Homosexuality, we think this is okay. Fornication, we think this is okay. Stealing a little bit or not telling the truth. The world is going to have to learn. There is a way that works and there's a way that doesn't. God wants us to build perfect, righteous character, the character of God, the character of Jesus Christ. And if we don't build that, then he cannot give us eternal life. See, we've got to grow. We've got to become perfect, spiritually mature, complete in that sense. Abraham had to do that. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5, 48, to become perfect. That means to become complete, completely understanding God's way of life, being willing to be led by God's spirit. These are things that are aspects of character. God, we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, where Samuel came to anoint a king. And he looked at all of uh, David's brothers, and some were big and strapping and handsome. But God says he looks on the heart. He looks on the character of the individual. And David was, has been described as a man after God's own heart. He, was, he wasn't perfect, but he was zealous for God's way. When he messed up, he repented big time. He wanted to do things God's way. He wanted to glorify God in what he did. And I'm sure David had a lot of lessons to learn. But we're told is that God looks on the heart. And in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33, it says God is going to give people a new heart. You know, as we repent, as we change, as we learn to follow how God's spirit leads, as we drink in of the word of God, our mind is going to change, our actions are going to change, and our character will change so that we can become more like God. And as we change and as we grow in this life, then God is going to be able to give us eternal life and give us the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ and teach others there really is a better way to do things. It's God's way. It's an exciting way. It's a good way. In Isaiah chapter 66, again, describing there what God is looking for in each of us. And these are some things to think about at the feast. Maybe take some time to meditate on these verses and ask yourself, is this the character that I have? Is this the character I would like to have? We are told here in Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, but on this one will I look. This is what God is looking for, the character he's looking for. On him or her who is poor, and it doesn't mean your pockets are empty. It means a humble person, a person that's willing to listen to God's instruction, a person that is, is teachable teachable from the word of God, a person that can look around and learn lessons. And they see the mistakes, they see the success of others, and they want to avoid the, the, uh, the um, mistakes. 
and enjoy the, the right kind of successes. On, on him or her who is poor and of a contrite spirit, they're willing to change. They're willing to repent. They're willing to go in a different direction when they see that that's the direction God wants them to go. And also he's looking for people who tremble at my word. They want to find out what God's will is. How do you date God's way? How do you marry God's way? How do you teach God's way? How do you worship God's way? How do you treat others God's way? God is looking for this kind of person, a person with this kind of character, so they can then teach the world how to develop this same kind of character. The final thing that's going to happen, or you might say the, 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 the fundamental thing that is going to happen when Jesus Christ and the saints return. Let's look at um, Acts chapter 3. It's a prophecy about what is coming down the road, what is going to happen as a result of Jesus Christ and the saints setting up the kingdom of God on this earth. In verse 19 of chapter 3 of the book of Acts, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. In other words, changed, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The times of refreshing. When Jesus Christ and the saints return, they set up God's government on this earth. They bring peace to this earth. They bring justice to this earth. Joy begins to break out. As a result of these things, they bring right government to this earth. In Proverbs 29, it talks about when the righteous uh, rule, that people rejoice. And when the wicked are in power, people are, are, are disappointed. They're, they're hurt. Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, what we read here, though, is a time of refreshing is coming. When people are being told, this is the way to go. This is the way to peace. This is the way to peaceful relations. This is the way to happiness. This is the way to success that really works. That he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things has come. There's a time coming. When the truth of God is going to be restored, the government of God is going to be restored. The laws of God and the knowledge of the laws of God are going to be restored on this earth. This is what's coming down the road. Now we read in Isaiah chapter 11, I think it's verse 9 there, that the earth is going to be filled, is going to be full of the knowledge of God. And this is a result of a worldwide government, a global government coming out from Jerusalem and teaching people God's way all around the world. It's going to take some time. It's not going to happen overnight. This is why God allows a thousand years for the government to grow and the educational systems to grow and people learning a different way of life. It's going to take some time. The disciples, we read in Acts chapter 17, as a result of going out preaching the gospel uh, in different parts around the Mediterranean, in verse 6 of Acts chapter 17, it says, Those or these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. In other words, these people preaching about a different God, preaching a different religion, preaching about a coming government of God, preaching about and explaining the origin of pagan holidays and how empty these things are. 
These who have turned the world upside down, preaching about a coming kingdom of God, that's what the gospel was all about, have come here too, and it was shaking up this part of the world. This is what's going to happen when Christ returns and the saints begin to reign and rule with Jesus Christ. It's going to turn the world right side up, not upside down, but right side up, God's way, and there's going to be a lot of rejoicing. This is what happened in the Old Testament under Hezekiah and under Josiah when these strong leaders began reforms in the nation of Judah. It didn't happen in the Israelite nations. They were gone into captivity. They had drifted off into paganism. They lost their identity. That's why our descendants today don't understand the truth of God. They don't understand the festivals of God. That's why we're here today to restore a knowledge of the festivals of God, to restore a knowledge of the plan of God, about the coming kingdom of God. That's why we're here at the feast, to focus on these things. In the Old Testament, during those restorations and reforms, there was a sense of excitement. There was a sense of joy. Wow, this is great. And I think the world is going to see that too when they get their fill of democracy fill of dictatorships, fill, they get their fill of politicians, they get their fill of worldly justice systems that really are not justice systems, they're systems of injustice, economic systems that exploit. The world is going to rejoice when they see the government of God, they see the fruits of the government of God, when they're able to enjoy the rule of the government of God. What about your role in all of this? What are you going to do? How are you going to use the feast? What are you going to do when you go home? I would encourage you, brethren, to think about these things. We're told in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10 that the saints are going to reign on this earth as kings and priests, as civil leaders, as religious leaders. We're going to have a chance to teach people this is God's way. This is the truth. This is the way that's going to lead to peace and the way that's going to lead to eternal life. Peter told his audience in 2 Peter 3.18 to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't just sit on your laurels. Don't just sit on what you know. Don't be just content with the way things are. Grow, learn, study the word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is telling Timothy to advise the church. He said, remind them in verse 14 of these things, charging them before God not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Don't get involved in picky little details and picky uh, little doctrinal ideas that are not focused on the big picture, that actually are pulling you away from that big picture. But it says, be diligent to present yourselves approved unto God. The old King James says, study to show yourselves approved unto God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can you rightly explain the word of truth? Can you explain the doctrines of the Bible, the doctrines of the church? Can you explain the practical application of the laws of God? These are things we need to begin doing now to learn how to do these things so that God can then use us in the coming kingdom of God to spread the knowledge of God all around the world. So I would encourage you, study. 
Study the materials from the church. Study the Bible. Look for knowledge that fits with the scriptures in the Bible. Look for solutions to problems. In Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, one final scripture. About what we can be doing as we prepare for the coming kingdom of God, what we can do before it comes and, and, and until it comes. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, <clears throat> it says, See that you walk circumspectly, you walk carefully, uh, deliberately, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time, making the most of the time that you have. And many of us have time to read the Bible. Many of us go to church. Many of us watch the television broadcast. Many of us have opportunities for education. But what Paul is saying here to the Ephesians, he says, make the best use of the time that you have to prepare for the coming kingdom of God. Verse 17, it says, Do not be unwise. You don't waste your time, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God's will, God's plan, is revealed in the festivals. The Feast of Tabernacles pictures this coming kingdom of God when the whole world is going to change when the laws of God are going to be taught worldwide. You know, today, some people are thrown in jail because they choose to believe the Bible or they proclaim what they believe based on scriptures. And even in Christian countries today, people are being laughed at because they're, they believe what's in the Bible. You know, Jesus Christ said that he's coming back to this earth. He said, I'm going away, John 14, to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back. We're told in Zechariah 14, his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. He's going to divide. He's going to set up a government on this earth to bring peace to this earth. This is what's coming. This is what we can prepare for. If the kingdom of God is real to you, how real is what we've been talking about today in the sermon? Are you looking forward to and are you preparing? And are you learning how to rule with wisdom with patience, with mercy, with justice? Are you nourishing God's spirit? Are you studying the word of God so that your judgments will be in line with the word of God? Are you preparing to help solve some of the major problems we're facing today of crime, of environmental degradation, of uh, ethnic strife, the problems in marriage today? Moral problems, are you preparing to point the world in a right direction, a better direction? This is what Paul is talking about. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have to read, to study, to grow, and to learn. Let God guide you. Ask God to guide you. Father, I want to be in your kingdom. I want to prepare for what's coming. Please guide my life. Open doors where I I can be that will be useful to me and useful to you. You guide me, Father, lead me. I want to be in your kingdom. You know, we're told even in the, the what is called the Lord's Prayer. It says, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Are we praying that prayer? Are we looking forward 
to the return of Jesus Christ, to the return and the establishing of the government of God, that we see the absolute necessity for Jesus Christ to return to this earth, that we see the, the crying need for the government of God. As we conclude, I want to ask the question one more time, and I'd like you to think about it during the feast. How real is the kingdom of God to you? Is it real enough that you're changing your life to get in harmony with the laws of God and the plan of God? Are you looking forward to being part of the coming kingdom of God, to rule with Jesus Christ, to reign with him, and to turn this world right side up? That's what the feast is all about, the coming kingdom of God. Think about it. Pray about it. Prepare for it so that we can all be part of this coming kingdom of God pictured by the Feast of Tabernacles.